0: So our topic for these months, the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. And as I was um, able to listen to Sue's talk earlier this morning, even though I was gone and I wasn't able to join you last week, and I thought that was great how she talked about here in the most beautiful months of the year in our area, we're talking about some of the most unbeautiful things in our minds, (laughs) greed, hatred, and delusion, and greed this month. And I know she gave you a really nice um, introduction to the three poisons, as well as some great suggestions on how to consider this topic of greed. And so this week I'm going to go into the poison of greed in more detail, and I probably at the risk of repeating some of the things that Sue's has already said, but I think that's probably okay. You know, we can always hear these things more than once, and it's always a little bit different depending on um, who is speaking. And since we're kind of short on teachers, this month I'm going to be doing a Double duty this week and next week. So I'll focus on the subject of greed this week and then next week talk some more about specific ways to practice with this poison in our meditation practice and in our life. So as Suze mentioned in her talk, um, when I first started thinking about this topic and planning this talk, one of the first things that came up for me was my own reaction to this word greed. I mean, greed sounds so, you know, extreme. It's like a very unseemly way to feel. Um, I don't want to think of myself as greedy, and I suspect that many of you feel the same way. Your first thought might be, well, I'm not greedy. I'm not obsessed with getting stuff. In fact, you know, I'm kind of a minimalist. I try to limit my consumption. And so it's good to remember that greed, in a way, it's kind of like dukkha. Dukkha is translated as suffering but it encompasses all kinds of painful experience from really, really deep suffering to the most mild discontent and dissatisfaction. And same with greed, it's really a continuum. Now in Pali, there's several words to describe this quality of greed as Suze mentioned last week. Um, In the texts about the three poisons, one of the Pali words used for greed is raga. Or sometimes, instead, the word that is used is lobha. And then there's tanha, which is usually translated as craving. And from what I understand from reading about them, they all have to do with greed, with wanting, with craving, with clinging. But their meanings or their connotations are a little bit different. So the raga, as I understand it, is... Maybe you could say it's more general, basically the desire for pleasant experiences. So it could encompass all kinds of things, like wanting to enjoy good food, bodily comfort, beautiful sights and sounds, sexual pleasures, wealth, power, all kinds of pleasant things. So we might say it's more like... Um, Desire for worldly pleasures might be a good way to describe what this means. And if we define the poison of greed like this, well, you know, we know we all have it. There's no doubt about that. We all (laughs) like pleasant, sensual experiences, you know, comfort of the body, nice food, pleasant surroundings. We all like it. We all want it. But then there is lobha, which is also translated as greed, and which I think probably is more like what we think of greed when we use the word greed in English. So it has more a connotation of strong desire and attachment, stronger than with the raga. And it also has a sense of trying to hold on to and not share or give up what you have. So it has more of this sense of clinging. And also it has a sense of not wanting other people to have what you have. So there's a sort of a jealousy if you see other people having these things, all that kind of feeling. And then there's tanha, which is usually translated as craving, as I said before. So with this word, I think there's kind of more of a focus on the wanting, of wanting to possess things for oneself. Maybe a bit more of this sense of longing for what we don't have. Well, the Lobo might have more of a sense of refusing to let go of what one has. So maybe a little bit different flavor, although they're not, they're very related. And there's also a sense of progression, is these words, with the raga, including the more mild forms of wanting and enjoying sense sense pleasures, which could progress into loba, which is the stronger craving and clinging and obsession with having. And one of the articles I read also indicated that with raga, There's this sense that you want and you like and you enjoy having pleasant things, but you aren't hurting others or doing immoral things to get these pleasant things. On the other hand, with Loba, when it goes to its extremes, you'd be willing to do pretty much anything you had to do to get what you want and hang on to it. Lie, steal, maybe even kill. You know, you're not really worried about the harm you might cause to yourself or to others because you're so blinded by your desire for whatever it is you want. And then, as I said, there's this sense of jealousy and craving what others have, and this, also this sense of never being satisfied. You feel like you are got to have more and more and more, even if you already have plenty. And, of course, between these to maybe extremes of just kind of saying, oh, yeah, I really like this pleasant thing, and I'm enjoying it, and this, like, obsessive need, and I'm going to get it no matter what, you know, there's all gradations in between. In terms of behavior, Raga might be exemplified, say, by a person who's financially well off and they like to be able to live in comfort and they like, you know, having a beautiful house, but they didn't do anything unethical to get their wealth. They got it in an ethical way. They're not harming anybody. Maybe they're willing to share what they have. Although, of course, you know, they want to keep enough to make sure they are comfortable Or maybe by a committed couple that has a really happy love life and enjoy it. Whereas with Loba, it would be more like a person that is really attached to their wealth and is willing to get it by exploiting other people from shady business deals, whatever, doesn't want to share with anyone, or maybe, you know, in terms of the sexual part, somebody that's cheating on their partner or having an illicit affair. So you kind of get a, a feeling of the it's differences in the behavior. So it's pretty clear that the more extreme levels of greed are really harmful and dangerous and truly poisonous to us and to other people too. But these milder forms, we might think, well, you know, what's wrong with that? And that is quite true in a sense that there really isn't anything wrong with enjoying pleasant experiences. And to some extent, that's completely natural. You might even say unavoidable for us as human beings. As Suze mentioned last week, we don't need to be judgmental about ourselves when these tendencies come up because they're going to come up. They're surely going to come up in all of us. But we do need to be aware of them and to have some understanding of them. So it's kind of a matter of that continuum. If we don't pay attention, we might get stuck in a much more painful and harmful form of wanting than these kind of mild forms of just enjoying our pleasant situation. And we can see this when we look at the teachings on dependent origination. I'm not going to talk about this too much, but just briefly, one stage of this cycle is the Vedanas, or feeling tones, where we sense our experiences being painful or pleasant or neutral. And these dependent origination teachings say that at this point, We can just recognize the experience we have as pleasant and experience that pleasure as long as it lasts, and then it changes or it leaves, and that's the end of it. You know, that's it. It isn't a problem. Or we can get attached to that pleasant experience and start longing for more of it pursuing it, trying to hang on to it, clinging to it, identifying with it, all of those kind of things. And of course, this can be a problem. First, because of the things we might do to hurt ourselves or others to hang on to this thing or to get this thing. And then because... We all recognize, I think, on some level, no matter how much effort we make, we're never going to be able to keep this pleasant thing permanently anyway. It's going to change. It's going to go away. It's not going to last forever. And so if our whole existence is bound up with having whatever this thing is, when that happens, well, we're going to be in for a whole lot of suffering. So I think we can see that when it comes to this poison of greed, it really makes sense to pay attention to pleasant experience and the way we relate to it, even if we don't think of ourselves as greedy. So we can recognize and accept our very natural desire for the enjoyment of pleasant experience, but at the same time, remember to bring some wisdom and balance to this tendency. In one of her talks, Michelle Macdonald, who's a very senior Vipassana teacher and who was my very first teacher, says something that I found really helpful in thinking about this tendency towards wanting and when it becomes a problem. And she mentioned a saying by one of the Zen patriarchs that you might have heard. It's usually translated into English as the great way is easy for those who have no preferences. So this makes it sound as though our goal is to have no liking or disliking at all. And I know that's something I think most of us doubt we could ever achieve. I certainly don't see myself as really being being able to live up to that standard. But Michelle found a newer translation that she found a lot more helpful. And this was, The Great Way is Easy, For those who have ceased to cherish their preferences. And I think this is really more easy to relate to because it acknowledges the fact that we do have preferences, that we like some things better than others, and um, that we'd rather have some outcomes than others. You know, and we do, you know, most of the time we'd rather have a sunny day than a rainy day. We'd rather have a temperature of, you know, 70 degrees as compared to the almost 100 degrees that I had when I was visiting my cousin in Florida. We'd rather be healthy than sick. We'd rather that our car ran great instead of breaking down and so on and so on. But the difference is, do we hang on to those preferences? Even it's, if it's clear that they're just not happening. Do we get angry and upset if things don't go our way? Do we spend all of our time longing for what we don't have? Are we ready to do whatever it takes to get what we want, no matter who we hurt? Then, you know, not so skillful. Or can we cease to cherish the preferences? You know, as that poem says, can we eat what's on our plate instead of worrying about that cookie in the jar in Tennessee? So, of course, we have preferences. But things will go a lot easier if we don't have to insist on having it all our own way, which we really can't do anyway, in any case. So another issue that often comes up in discussions of greed is this issue of wholesome versus unwholesome desires. So the idea often is that the desire for sensual pleasures or what we might call worldly pleasures is not so good, while the desire for spiritual pleasures or spiritual attachments is wholesome. And there's some truth to this, but... Even that isn't so, even here, it's not so simple. Philip Moffat wrote a really nice short article about this, pointing out that um, even what we would think of as wholesome desires can become unwholesome if we get too attached to making sure those desires are realized, and not only realized, but realized in accordance with our own vision and our own timetable. For example, he mentions that Of course, we would consider our desire for our children to be happy and healthy as a wholesome desire, which comes from our love for them, our care for them. But this basically wholesome wish can become unwholesome if we're so attached to making that happen that we become over-controlling and we don't give our children the independence that they need to mature, or we just insist that they do it our way because we think that's what will make them safe and happy, whether or not it really does. And certainly this kind of uh concern or issue doesn't just apply to parents and children. We can see that in all kinds of relationships. So, in a way, it's really recognizing. Um, the near enemy of meta recognizing attachment as opposed to unconditional well well-wishing. And of course we wish people that are close to us well out of our love for them, but it's really easy to let that very simple well-wishing get mixed up with our ideas of how they should be, what they should do to reflect well on us, our ideas of what would make them happy, our attachment to the love and attention we get from them, and so on and so forth. And then if we think about the desire for spiritual pleasures and attainments, yes, I think we'd say that, you know, the desire for peace or equanimity or patience or generosity or any of the other paramis, Or other spiritual gifts would be really wholesome, that the desire for wisdom and insight is wholesome. But it's true too that those desires can get all tangled up with our ideas of our own spiritual progress, our images of how we ought to be, our desire to be in control. So while it may be wholesome to have spiritual aspirations, it may not be so wholesome to insist on making them a reality according to our ideas of what ought to be happening and in line with our own table, which, of course, we can't do anyway. I mean, you try it, well, yeah, (laughs) good luck with that. It doesn't happen that way. And, you know, on some level, level, wanting is just wanting whatever the object of our wanting might be. So I think there's a lot of room for reflection on this topic of how over attachment, even to wholesome desires and aspirations, can get us into some trouble and lead to suffering. So, and then finally, the last thing I'd like to talk a little bit about today is something that often comes up in connection with the three poisons, the Buddhist personality types. So in the buddhist commentaries one of the teachings that's mentioned here that you might have heard about is these are these personality types based on these three poisons of greed hatred and delusion and each of these types tends to be sort of more oriented towards one of these you know the the uh, greed type is more oriented towards pleasant the um Aversive type is more oriented to the unpleasant and the deluded type is just kind of confused about things. So I wouldn't go too far with trying to uh, identify your type or worrying about your type too much since all of us have more than enough of all of these three tendencies to go around. But it's true that we might be especially prone to one of them. And it's definitely true that we're all from time to time caught up in these mindsets and are looking at the world through some perspective of greed or aversion or delusion. So I'm going to talk a little, about, a little bit about this greed type mindset, which we all have from time to time, even if it isn't our strongest tendency. So being caught up in the greedy tendency doesn't exactly mean that we're greedy, as we would usually define it, but more like we're attuned to the pleasant. So we're automatically on the lookout for whatever is pleasant and beautiful, and we try to surround ourselves with those things. And also we tend to ignore or overlook anything that's damaged or ugly or unpleasant. And, of course, that's not so healthy, since... It can foster an unrealistic view of the world and make it hard for us to recognize or deal with pain and difficult things, either in ourselves or in other people. Sharon Salzberg describes this greedy type as someone who has a hard time facing difficulties in situations and might almost insist on ignoring them because they just want everything to be nice all of the time. But... You know, that's not so good, but at the same time, it's also true that if we're willing to pay attention and work with this tendency that we all have to some extent of gravitating toward the pleasant, there's also the potential for some really wholesome qualities associated with it. And for example, Sharon Salzberg also points out that this greedy type mindset has a natural ability to appreciate beauty. And that's A useful thing and this mindset might also see the good in others and try to find harmony and generosity in relationships and this mindset also naturally has faith they're optimistic and really believe that we can cultivate the good and she also says that in the purified form, you know, when we really work with this mindset and pay attention to the downsides, it can mature from a tendency to only want to see the pleasant into one that is willing to draw near all aspects of life and experience life more fully and not hide back, hold back or hide. So, you know, there's a, there's good qualities within this. Not necessarily totally wholesome mindset, too. So the task for these greed tendencies that we all have is to learn how to have a wise relationship with wanting. So instead of feeling as if we have to act on every desire that might come through the mind, we need to learn how to pick and choose to tolerate discomfort to let the unwise desires or the maybe not so necessary desires come and go without acting on them. And this is really good advice for everybody because we all have some of that tendency to gravitate toward the pleasant and ignore the unpleasant, whether this is our go-to mode or not. And I think it also helps us to see the positive aspects of this tendency as well as the aspects that need to be kept in balance or transformed so we can have a more um, kind and understanding look at our own ways of gravitating towards what's pleasant. So to sum up, this poison of greed occurs along a continuum. From our very natural tendency to notice and enjoy and gravitate toward pleasant things in life to a place where we're so attached to those things that we'll pretty much do anything to hang on to them, continually want more of them, no matter how much we already have and are angry or upset when we have to share them or others have them too. So we need to be more aware of our relationship. With what is pleasant. We can encourage our appreciation of what's pleasant and beautiful, our tendency to notice the good in ourselves and in others, but at the same time to recognize when we're hanging on too tightly to what is bound to change anyway, and when we're chasing after things we don't really need. And we need to be aware of how our desires affect others, and notice when we're refusing to see difficult things because we just don't want to be made uncomfortable by those things. And in a way, I, I've i been kind of reflecting that as householders, where we're surrounded all the time by things we want to have or want to do, and opportunities for, you know, attachment and greed, <laughs> in a way we feel like this is really difficult, but at the same time we're in a especially good position to really examine and understand our relationship with the pleasant and to learn to be really wise about it. You know, we, we have to be wise because we're an environment, in an environment where if we're not wise, we can get, get ourselves into a lot of trouble. So it's a really great situation to be in for learning. So our natural wants and preferences don't become this poison of greed.
1: So let's just sit for a moment. Maybe reflecting on this topic, our own thoughts about this topic. And remembering the message of the poem this morning. The fortune that you seek is in another
0: cookie. was my fortune, so I'll be equally frank. The wisdom that you covet is in another poem. The life that you desire is in a different universe. The cookie you are craving is in another jar. The jar is buried somewhere in Tennessee. Don't even think of searching for it. If you found that jar, everything would go for kerflooey for a thousand miles around. It is the jar of your fate in an alternate reality. Don't even think of living that life. Don't even think of eating that cookie. Be a smart cookie. Eat what's on your plate, not in some jar in Tennessee. That's my wisdom for today, though I know it's not what you were looking for. Thanks for being here and for your kind attention. And now we have some time for um, small group discussion in our breakout rooms. So if you need to leave because you have, you know, things going on today, um, this would be a good time to say goodbye. And we're really happy to have you here, however long you're able to stay. Never feel bad if you do need to leave. It's, It's fine. But I'm hoping that many of you will stay. And so for our discussion today, I'd invite you to share your own experiences with this poison of greed and your own relationship with pleasant experience. So, you know, do you see this tendency in yourself to gravitate toward the pleasant and ignore or deny the unpleasant? Are there areas where you're more balanced with pleasant things and others maybe where you um, are a little bit less balanced and are more caught up in craving? And maybe um, you looked at some of the areas that Sue's talked about last week as good places to explore um, greed, you know, our relationship with food, money, experience, relationships. Maybe you've, Explored that a bit and have noticed some tendencies that you'd like to share So I'll break you up into groups of three or four and we'll have about 15 minutes or so for discussion and then we'll meet back
1: again in the larger group
0: Hi, welcome back everybody. I think everyone has returned so now we have a little bit of time um, for sharing with the group what you talked about, questions, whatever you would like to um, say. The floor is open, so please, um, uh, you can raise your hand, maybe your virtual hand, or since we're not a too big of a group, if you just want to raise your hand like this and I see you, I, I can call on you. Oh, Judith. Okay.
1: Okay. Well, one thing we were talking about
2: at the end is um, as far as wanting is concerned, like wanting things that would actually be probably good for all of humanity, like maybe to save our planet, right? And, you know, rain because we're in the middle of drought and that sort of thing. And and I know for me, this is especially the desire for rain right now. is just almost <laughs> physical, you know and but but it's and there's a great deal of frustration for me in not being able to do very much about it
1: and so i we, I just wonder how all that fits in you know with with greed is this greed I mean
0: that's a really good question, and I think um. Probably one a lot of us worry about, and and it's sort of related to this uh, Wholesome desires So, and it's hard to, I think it's hard to deal with I mean, my sense is that um, Wanting those, wanting those kinds of things is Fine, but also, also I, my thought is, you know, considering um, having a wise understanding of the limits of our control. I think if we allow, we want certain things, even though they're wholesome things, but sort of let us get into a mind state that's so frustrated and angry that maybe we lash out at others or try to make the things happen in ways that are not very skillful. You know, that's kind of going more into the greed area. But it's, it's, I think it's kind of hard. Like with all of this, it's a, it's not really cut and dried, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's hard to have a, a sense of equanimity with things that we know are really... Like I think many times I have heard is that equanimity doesn't mean that we approve or that it's okay. It means more that we understand this is how it is and we do what we can. So I I think the main thing I would consider would be Having a wise understanding so that we don't, when we want these things, we don't drive ourselves crazy because it isn't happening. (laughs) Or do things that might not be very helpful for other people around us because it's not happening. Right. Like the
2: people I would like to lash out at. Yes. (laughs) I exist, right?
0: Uh (laughs) Yeah. So know aware, but uh, you know. It's not easy. No. It's not easy.
2: Yes, Suze? I shared in my group something that um, I wanted to share with everybody. I have a very small project happening at my place, and I've been feeling what being feeling stingy feels like oh my goodness, it's so much stinginess, it's so much wanting. And, and I keep on asking myself, what am I getting out of the stingy? And I'm reminded of when Tuary talked at uh, one of her last talks on Anata, and she said how much we need an understanding of self in order to get into the poisons because they're so, you know, they're, they're so related. And um, I mean, I know enough to not put myself down too much and get too judgmental but it's been good actually to watch how this stingy stuff feels inside of me and how um it's this little this little self person who just wants what she wants and and um it's kind of bizarre because it's such a small thing but the the feeling of of wanting is so strong, and it's a stingy wanting. It's that, um, yeah. So I just wanted to share that. Maybe, and hopefully, I will get over it. (laughs) So I just wanted to share that.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I can relate to that. I, I know that there's a, I have some of that more sort of a kind of frugal mentality. And um, when you suggested, Suze, in your talk about looking at relationships with money and stuff, you know, it made me realize how much of that kind of what you might call being stingy is just this sort of sense of wanting a sense of security. Um wanting to feel like I don't have to worry that, that I have what I need. And I think probably a lot of people have that kind of a feeling. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but it's really a good opportunity, I think, to look at these things and and see in all of ourselves those subtle kinds of feelings, that they're not like massive greed, but they're the subtle of, I don't really want to let go of this. Maybe I don't need it, but I don't want to give it away, you know, or <laughs> many of these feelings. So thank you for bringing that up. And let's see, Greg has a question or comment.
3: Actually, a comment, because I think you make a, a really good point about, you know, we look at, a, we look at a, a greed or a thing that we want, like Suze was talking about. And I think you hit a point, which is, you know, a thing we want might be very layered. As to how it got there. What is it serving? What purpose is it gratifying? And there may be a bunch of different things underlying it, like security or the need to be respected, or you know, broader, broader things that make us focus on the tiny thing we want, which is where we get all obsessed and and controlled about. Um, which makes it more a bigger challenge, of course, because then you have to like stare the stare the thing in the face and see what you see. Maybe underneath it, it's that's kind of creates the the final wanting, you know. So that's that's uh, I think that's pretty pretty fascinating actually.
0: Yeah, that's a really really wise observation. I think that's true for so many of the things that we want that there's more to it than just that this is a pleasant thing. It maybe has to do with. What we didn't have in our childhood, what we feel like we need to have to maintain our image of ourselves, our sense of security, so many things. So, yeah, it's very, very layered. Yeah, there's lots to
1: investigate when it comes to this uh, subject. Let's see. Jean. you have the floor.
4: Thank you. Um, I realized while you were talking this morning that in the realm of Tanaha, I, I would put all of my cherished political views and opinions and responses, and I realize how difficult it is for me <laughs> to give them up. Uh, and I realized that that I am, my attitude is part of the division, part of the rift between those who agree with me and those who are opposed to me. And if I can't open my heart and change that in some way, uh, there will never be any kind of healing uh, because I'm so entrenched in my rightness and my correctness i can't be wrong (laughs) i didn't know where that comes from but i just wanted to put it out there
0: yeah thank you i see a lot of heads nodding here yes 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 we yeah so i think this is a something that we all share and it's it's so difficult um it's it's really really challenging, um, and there's that sense too of of, of having our own having perceptions of what is helpful and what isn't, and what's good for you know society and what isn't. And our perceptions might very well be correct, and yet to be able to have that kind of discernment and yet not make others who disagree the enemy is challenging. And to not feel like we, to try to understand rather than convince is very challenging. So, yeah, I think this is one where we're (laughs) we're all kind of caught up in this.
4: I need to soften. I need to ease my
1: position. Thank you, You brought up a really good one,
0: and oh, Sean and Bruce, maybe this should be our last comment because it's getting close to time to end Boy, so please be, I'll,
5: I'll be quick
0: so, um, no, nope, no worries <laughs>
5: <laughs> so um, yeah, the more I can experience the feelings and the sensations of the wanting and the pain of those then the less i want i want using the word want to have those experiences and the the thing the thing i wanted to share is this is something that uh gill talks about especially when he goes through the anapanasati because the word raga comes up in the in the last tetrad which is the liberation part of the meditation and that raga um means red and it's in 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 india it's the red dye that's in cloth mm. and that that fades in the sun which becomes naraga which is dispassion and i just there's just something about that that just really struck me the fading of the passion the fading of the dye fading of the dye in the cloth becoming dispassion which is part of the step of liberation and so the more I can become um dispassionate not like not caring you know it has nothing to do with not caring it's just a certain energy that's just not a healthy energy that's the only way I can put it and that I'm not passionate about that. So I, it's, it's a, it's a step in letting go into the Naraga.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. And for me, that's the key is how to go to the body. Go to the body. Cause it, it, the body tells all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Thanks so much for sharing that. I, I very much agree with you that. It's not easy to do, and I struggled for a long time to be able to do it in my own practice. But I agree that if you really can feel that feeling of wanting and know the unpleasantness of that wanting as compared to a time when you are really more equanimous with things, you don't want to have that feeling so much. I think it really, it's very, very, very helpful. I mean, it really motivates to me to just sort of, okay, let's let this go. Just go back into whatever, the pleasantness of the feeling and don't worry about what's going to happen next. And that's a beautiful analogy, too, about the the red, fading with the sun or sort of with us fading with more and more wisdom. So the strength of that got to have it, got to have it diminishes. As you say, not because we don't enjoy it or appreciate it or turning away, but more because we realize that it's not going to really last. And if we have it nice, if we don't, that's okay too.
1: So thank you so much.
0: So as we finish now, let's just sit for a few moments to close. Maybe taking a moment to share the merit of our practice today with somebody
1: that's in our thoughts, near to us, far from us, living or having passed away. May this special being share in the merit of our practice.
0: And may that be so too for all beings, whoever they are and wherever they are. May our hearts be at ease. May we appreciate what we have. And may we find freedom from this poison of greed. So thank you all so much for being here today and thanks for your great comments about this topic. I think there'll be a lot for us to explore in this month.